Golf. Since 1979, Pete's Golf has been practicing the art of club fitting and has been selected as a top 100 club fitter by Golf Digest magazine. At Pete's Golf, we use the best technology available to create an exceptional fitting experience for every customer that walks into our store. Visit Pete'sGolf.com or call 516-248-6891. That's 516-248-6891 and get your next set of clubs fit for you. Golf course superintendents are the unsung heroes of our great game. Due to the game's efforts, we now have turf that needs less water, courses that are more sustainable, with many now offering natural wildlife habitats. From the days of old Tom Morris, golf course superintendents have given golfers a reason to love this great game. But don't take my word for it, Jack Nicholas agrees. If you love golf like I do, thank a golf course superintendent. A message from the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America and local superintendents everywhere. Hey everyone, this is Chris Fochelle with Mizuno. There's no better feeling than having your clubs perfectly dialed in, and with over 2,000 authorized performance fitting partners nationwide, it couldn't be any easier to get custom fit using Mizuno's revolutionary Shaft Optimizer 3D. Find the right shaft and match it with any of our legendary grain flow forgings or our award-winning hot metal irons featuring high-strength chromoly. Visit MizunoGolf.com to find the nearest authorized fitter in your area, and remember, nothing feels like a Mizuno. All right, welcome back to uh, to on par. We're having a little technical difficulties here, yeah, so right. just bear with us, and uh, <laughs> hopefully now you maybe can hear Anthony now. Yep, and uh, well, pleased to have on the line Mizuno Gals Chris Bochel. Chris, how you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing awesome. How are y'all doing this morning? Uh, well, it's a little wet, it's a little cold, and uh, my mic wasn't working, but we're all good now. So, <laughs> I'll, so I'll make you guys super jealous. Then I'm down in Atlanta, and I am waiting on a tea time at about eight forty-five. So uh, uh, it's a little that's... bit nicer down here, just to rub it in a little bit. Oh, nice. He asked how long the segment was going to be. I didn't know he was going to go play golf afterwards. <laughs> well, our segment just got longer, so I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> hey, with with all of the Atlanta New York rivalries going on right now, I got to rub something in. Right. Uh, yeah. Who are you playing with, John Kim, or who are you playing with down there? I no, not today. I'm playing with a bunch of buddies today, oh, so it's nice. going to be great. Nice, good for you. Well, Chris, you know, I mentioned Mizuno Golf. I know you've been, you know, an engineer. I know you've been a brand manager. Can you just give everybody who's listening a little bit, a brief, uh, you know, elevated pitch as to your journey with Mizuno? Because you're you've been a man who's been a jack of all trades. Tell everybody about who you are and where you've been. No, it's been a, a very, very fun run. So I started with Mizuno in 2004, coming straight out of college. I was an engineer by study in college, and I started as a testing engineer. I was that guy who came in, bought all of the competitor stuff, cut it up, measured it, ran hit tests, all those fun things. From there, I learned the design world. So started, you know, with, with that foundation that you learn from knowing what other people are doing, knowing what we've done, I started designing clubs. So I designed a lot of our irons, wedges, a couple of our woods over the last call it 15 years, and then recently I've switched more into a role where I'm directing a lot more of the product. So kind of mm -hmm. working with R&D, working with the marketing team, making sure we're bringing the right product to market, speaking to the right people. So it's been, it's been a blast. How much, how much of that learning from the ground up has been important to you? Let's say from, 
you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to compare apples to to oranges or anything like that, but a counterpart a certain, in terms of um, who just gets hired in, in a certain position. But you've been there from the ground up. How important has that been to your development and your evolution as a um, brand manager? You know, to me, I think it's been huge. Um, just understanding not only the inner workings of like how a company works, so knowing how how to speak the language, how to work with the different teams from the very bottom all the way up, I think is re- really good just in the communication world, especially with Mizuno. We're a Japanese company. The Japanese lines of communication are a little bit different than some of those others at other companies. So it's been great to learn that. But then just in terms of being good at your job, I think mm-hmm. starting from a club testing position was the perfect thing. Where I always thought I knew golf clubs. I knew what I liked to look at. I knew what I liked to feel. But to numerically like be able to put data behind that was something I couldn't have done if it weren't for starting as a test engineer. So to me, it's like the perfect internship almost, like or apprenticeship, I should say, to work your way up to that position. Sure. Well, if, you know, from my standpoint, point, if you're just a marketing guy, I, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I love how you've grown with the company and and you know how you can really talk the the, the nuts and bolts of how. Um, Mizuno product works and how it, you know, how it helps players in, in one area or a different product will help in a different area. And you really, you know it from the, like I said, from the ground up. It may, for me, it it's, uh, means the world. Yeah, and that's a big thing about us and how we like to talk as a company. Obviously, when you hear Mizuno, we're not, we don't have the biggest marketing budgets. We're not always out there screaming about this crazy new technology you've never heard of. But we're an engineering company. Like, we're making great product. So to me, to have someone that's di- directing a lot of the product and directing a lot of the marketing who comes from the engineering side is a totally different animal than having someone who comes from the marketing side. So it, it speaks our language. That's not an easy marriage, marketing and engineering, right? I mean, some of the things that and, – and the fact that you're the bridge between the two – um, it certainly helps with the continuity of message, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're exactly right, where the engineering side of me wants to start spitting out all sorts of technical terms, some, you know, call the face, something, you know, the <laughs> MAS-1C, miraging steel face, like all these things <laughs> that mean nothing outside of my world. Right. And it's, it's great to say, how can we take a little bit of that, like almost our, let our messaging be just a little bit above you know, the, the ground level of just screaming, screaming technology names, but bring in a little bit of education along with our marketing. And that's what's fun about it. Yeah, I mean, it has to be, it has to be, at the end of the day, it, like you said, you're not a big marketing, you, you don't have a big marketing budget, but at the end of the day, it does, has to be, it does have to be digestible by the consumer. I mean, that, and that's, that's, you know, when the, where the rubber hits the road, you do have to have something that they can hang their hat on. Totally, yeah. If if you start and speak way too much engineering, then you've lost people from the get go. And you, you know, you, you don't want to come off too nerdy. You want to come off just nerdy enough, is what I like to say. <laughs> yeah, right. well, I, I like the nerdy stuff myself. Yes, <laughs> and I like the digestible stuff. Woody's the smart guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> oh boy, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the uh, the the line of products you got out right now. I know, and, and I know Woody wants to talk a little bit about the supply chain in a, in a bit. But just tell us what yep. we do have. Uh, what's that, what do we have available at this point? So right now, uh, you know, we've got a full lineup. We've got our MP line, which which is 
you know, traditionally when you look at us, we're on a two-year cycle with everything where you see MP, which is a little bit more of our traditional, more of our players' product. We've mm-hmm. still got our MP20 line. And then the JPX line is the one that speaks to a wider part of the, of, of the golfing audience. So it goes down from the JPX Tour, the JPX Forge, then the Hot Metal and the Hot Metal Pro, which is you know going down from Tour clubs all the way up to super distance clubs and forgiving clubs. We've got all those in the line, and they've done really well. The Hot Metal line has been unbelievable for us, where people initially think of Mizuno as musclebacks and blades, thinking back mm-hmm. in the days of like when Tiger used to play them and David Duvall used to play them, stuff like that. Right. They don't really think about us in terms of forgiveness and distance. But that hot metal has opened up a totally different audience to us. And then at the same time, we've had a lot of growth within our wood market as well. So the STZ and the STX, two drivers that are out there that are just absolutely killing it in terms of, I'll, I'll, put, I'll say killing it as a relative term, killing sure. it for Mizuno. We're still not as big boys <laughs> as the Callaways and the TaylorMades, but our technology and our fitting expertise in that and how we can get them dialed in, really puts us in the ball game. So it's something that you should look at, even though most people automatically kind of brush over some of ours. And you got a, you have a full line. You even have putters now. Which we, we do, we, and that's a funny one, where the putters world was one that we've had them overseas for a little bit, but we didn't do them in the States just because we weren't sure of the audience for it, like how big that market was. So we were like, you know what, let's try it. We've got great steel technologies. We obviously have our forging techniques. We have our materials. We're, we're known for precision and feel. So why not bring that into the putter world? So our M-Craft line of putters, there's the number one all the way up to the number six in three different finishes. They're all milled from a 1025 block of forged stainless steel. So, um, sorry, not stainless steel, forged mild carbon steel. Beautiful feel, beautiful look, very traditional, and they've done extremely well, really outperformed our, any of our expectations. And you've got a golf ball, too. We do, yeah, and that's <laughs> a, another one that we've had overseas. So we have the RB Tour and RB Tour X. We also have the RB 566 and 566V, so different price points. The RB Tour is more that urethane cover more that high-performance, better player, higher price point ball uh, with a very unique dimple pattern on it. And then the 566 and 566V are more the price point golf balls. They're a little bit less expensive. Uh, they're a uh, ionomer cover, a little bit firmer feel, designed more with distance in, in mind. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting. People ask Mizuno as a golf ball, and I'm like, well, they've had a golf ball for a long time. They just never had one that was available here in the, in the U.S. It's not like it's something new for Mizuno. That's right. We've been working on it, and we have a lot of development that we've been doing for years on aerodynamics. And I believe the first golf ball came in Japan. I'm going to put it right around the time I started with Mizuno. That was around 2004, 2005. So we're now talking 17 years within that market of research and development, really working to working our way to a golf ball that we felt was worthy of coming over to this, the largest golf market in the world, in the U.S., I just think when you're covering now, you know, the entire gamut, right? So it, 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 uh, there's, no, there's no holes. Oh, we don't have a ball. We don't have a putter. You know, they got it all covered. And I think that's, that's important um, not only to the consumer but to, to Mizuno where they're, they're not missing one product line where oh, we've given up on that or we can't, we can't make something that's good there. They've figured out ways to make great stuff in, across the board. Yeah, as you're trying to grow when you want to be a big player in the game, 
it's all about having everything to everybody. I, I wouldn't say you want to be everything to everybody, but you want mm-hmm. to have an offering in every category. Otherwise, you're kind of a niche company, and you don't want to be viewed as a niche company. You want to be viewed as somebody who can support an entire bag, can support everything, and we've got great research and development teams working on all these different categories. So to be able to fill out the bag, to me, is a huge thing. Like when we would go to our even our corporate meetings and we'd see everybody and then showing up with Scotty Cameron putters and Odyssey putters, it's frustrating just because we know we can make a great product in that category. And it just took a little bit of commitment from the business side to allow the R&D team to present some products that we knew would fill some holes in the market. Well, I think the other thing you're speaking to is the fact that Mizuno has extremely strong brand loyalty. And so when you don't have the offerings or when you don't have the what appears to be not the offerings or if you just have it limited in in japan you don't have the like you said the person can't have mizuno from top to bottom from from a to z so by having an offering in the different hard and soft goods you now can be uh, you have you can now reinforce that brand loyalty you're right it all starts with um you know building that trust that we built over a number of years with our quality irons if we didn't have that solid foundation, then we don't think we'd be able to get people to try all these other categories. So it's all about making sure you're putting out the right product at the right time, not rushing a new product to market just because, hey, we don't have something here. It's all about building upon what we've always done. And we've shown that because the Mizuno customer tends to be very loyal, once you hit our clubs, once you experience them, once you feel them, it gets you wanting more. So it's like, if you, I love that feel of my irons. You know what? I ought to try it in a wedge. I ought to try it in a putter. Even working your way up into the long, and the long game in the woods, the feel of our drivers is amazing. So it all, it all goes into everything we do, and it's just trying to be consistent as a brand. You should put, you should put your tagline should be, nothing feels like a Mizuno. You should put that in your commercial. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> Go ahead. So, so, Chris, one of the things that I'm looking forward to talking to you today about it is a little about, for those who don't know, if you're in the coppers, you know, uh, uh, the supply chain has been a just absolute nightmare getting yep. stuff this year. Uh, golf's exploded, and, uh, you know, due to, I'm assuming it's COVID, but there's got to be other factors. Um, you just can't get stuff. Um, I was telling Anthony a story where I talked to a shaft manufacturer, and they were telling me, well, you know, we can make the steel shafts, but we can't chrome them because the, the chromer, their main business is chroming cars, and the manufacturers can't get the chips for the cars, so they've shut down their, their, their plant in Japan. So they're, they're struggling to get the chrome, and, they, of course, they want it done perfectly. It's got to be within, you know, half a gram or something like that and the, of the weight. Um, and I didn't even think about that, that – you know, that the shaft manufacturer would not do their own chroming. They'd had someone else doing it, and they got to get tolerances. But they can't, the auto industry is affecting my golf shafts. Um, what can you tell, yeah. the, the, you know, tell the average consumer of, like, of what's going on kind of behind the scenes with you know, the, the, the demand being so high and then not being able to get whatever it's a grip or uh, yep. maybe well, it's think, a medallion the for the back thing- of the club or something? Yeah, the first thing I'd like to put into perspective is the scale of the industry and just how much it has exploded. Because, you know, it's easy to say, you know, oh, you know, this X or Y shaft or grip company can't supply enough grips, they can't get mine, whatever. They're supplying a ton right now. But it's like to put it into scale, 
the industry last year or over the first, I'll call it what, three, four months of this year was up almost 50 percent over where it's been over the past five years. So, you know, the supply chain side and the manufacturing side from all of the component companies, obviously you want to you want to have a capacity that'll speak to the market. You don't want to have so big a building that you're never going to use it, all these employees that you're never going to use, all these resources, materials that you're never going to use. Mm-hmm. So for an industry that's been around for so long with so much history to explode and have the boom in play and the boom in and equipment sales and how just how popular the game is, it's like they can't make stuff fast enough. So, you know, to put it into perspective, We've already sold, what is it, uh, it's May 28th, something like that. We've sold more golf clubs today than we sold in the entire year of 2018. Jesus. So, and that was pre, pre-pandemic, pre-everything. So, you know, our orders that are coming in, and it's not just us. This is TaylorMade, Callaway, Ping, Cobra, Pilos, you name it. Everybody is putting a lot of pressure to get more and more and more from all these different uh for all these different component companies. So the supply chain side over in China, I'll say for the most part, the supply chain side on the head side has gotten pretty good. So they're making heads. They're making a lot of stuff. The issue is shipping. And that's the crazy thing is like, you know, we'll, the cost that's come on to ship stuff from China, from Japan, from overseas has become astronomical the supply chain of actually like receiving the boats coming into the LA ports. It's like what used to they would take two months for something to get here. Now it's taking four or five months to get here. And then, um, you know, that, that affects heads, that affects shafts, that affects grips, that affects everything. And then, yeah, it's just, it's a compounding effect of all these different things that start with the boom in this industry. But then ultimately to your point with the auto industry, Golf is very small compared to auto. So if an, if an auto manufacturer is wanting something from a, from a chrome, bl- chrome vendor or something like that, they're probably going to lean on those guys a little bit more and push us out a little bit. So it's, it's a tough thing to deal with right now, and supply chain side has been an absolute headache. How do you 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 mentioned the economy of scale, and so you're and as to to reiterate your point, you're meeting the demand in terms of what normal demand is. But the problem right. is now we can't service the extra demand. How do you change, or when do you start to consider to change the economy of scale? And that's that's the thing that uh, is really difficult to do, and that's what we're trying to. And you know, not, obviously, with, it's not just you. It's everybody, really. It's everybody, yeah. Right. And we're tr- the projections out leads to the question of, is this a bubble caused by more people playing because of COVID? Or is this a long-term, basically, you know, re-leveling of the foundation of what the size of the golf market is? And it's, the, the honest answer is probably somewhere in between. Obviously, the COVID, a lot of people being at home, a lot of people having more free time, not being in the office people got out and played and a lot more people came to the game. Younger people came to the game. So to say that the playing base uh, is where it used to be, I think is absolutely not true. There's more people playing the game. Mm-hmm. But as things go back to normal, as things, as people, you know, get on with their more normal lives, it's probably not going to be as big as it ever was. So to say that we want to scale up to the size of the, of the golf market right now would probably long-term 
be a mistake. It would probably end up costing us money in the long term. So right now it's almost like this game of, okay, let's try to increase capacity. Let's try to increase, in, increase efficiency, but do it at a level that we feel like where we're going to become the new norm. And that's what we're trying to figure out is what is the size of the market going forward. You know, Chris, I, I, for, in my perspective, I, I think we're gonna, you're going to retain more of these golfers than we did in the past. And I, I used the, the, you know, the Tiger uh, bubble. When Tiger mm-hmm. came on the scene, all of a sudden people were playing golf. I used to, when we used to, uh, um, back we had a retail store. Um, if Tiger won on Sunday, the phones were ringing like crazy on Monday. Tiger didn't play <laughs> on Sunday, the phones weren't ringing as much on Monday. Um, but what we've seen is that a lot of players that came to us that got into the game and bought golf clubs back then, and then whatever happened, they, 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 they gave it up. They had family. They had, you know, things happened. They, they stopped playing golf. And with the pandemic, I have seen so many of them come and say, you know, I've, I, I stopped for whatever reason. I forgot how much I really love the game. And now mm-hmm. that I can go back out because of COVID, I went out and back back to playing. I, I want to I go back and do this. And, and I think we'll be because we've, it's kind of a second bubble 20-something years later, mm-hmm. we'll retain more of those players because they used to play and they gave it up, and now they're coming back to the game. They're probably a little older. They maybe have a little more free time. Um, and they have the experience of, hey, I, I, I forgot how much I love this game. Whereas the new golfer, the person who's never played golf before, you, you know, golf is the hardest sport you're going to play for whatever kind of athlete you are. Um, so it's hard to retain all of them. You're just not your your percentage mm-hmm. is going to be smaller. Um, but if you can retain this, that small percentage plus the people that used to play that we had lost, I think you can have a you can have more it, a more more effect going down the road. I totally agree, and and there's some really positive signs on top of that too. Where early on, in, when the golf market was booming, it was a lot of package sets, a lot of, you know, discounted golf clubs. And what, you, what I've heard a lot of is people who kind of bought the discounted ones earlier, getting back, falling back in love with the game, and then going in for a fitting, then going in to get dialed into a more premium set, really like investing in the game as opposed to just dipping their toe in the game. So I think you're exactly right in that assessment, Woody. Uh, just to finish up, because we're just about out of time, and and I, I, something that I think that's been impressive with Mizuno all along, uh, you you talked about fitting and you talk about customization. It's the one thing that you've invested in um, for quite some time, and probably do it uh, better than anybody, just because you've designed different models to match up with different um, with different models. Uh, how do you, where are you in the evolution of that process versus when you first started? We definitely now look at everything from the fitting side first. So, you know, it, it was always, going back to when I started, it was, okay, here's this set, and this set should speak to this handicap. Here's this set to this handicap. That thinking is completely out of the window now. Mm-hmm. Now it's how do we make sets that speak to each other that you could combo so if a certain player brings these characteristics to the game, they can look at these on the short iron side, these on the long iron side. So almost everything we do is looked at through a fitting lens because ultimately you're going to benefit more from the technologies that way. They're gonna, you're going to enjoy the clubs more. Everything about the experience will be better 
if that set is dialed in specifically to you. So we definitely put that as the absolute number one priority is how fitable are these golf clubs. And have you, you know, when you first started doing that, where are you now with that? I know, obviously, you just said it's the it's the number one priority. It's the baseline mm-hmm. of how you design. Uh, what have you learned from when you first started versus what, you, what you're doing now? Yeah, so we've, we've learned a lot uh, in terms of how we set up, like, our set makeup. We've learned a lot in terms of how we progression from one set to another, how our specs match from one set to another, just in terms of how how a set should be bought. You know, we don't want you to buy the one that's on the rack. We literally say when we're, when we're you know, talking to, when our sales guys are out, we, don't, we want you to have a set on the rack to look at, to work your way to the golf, to, the, to a fitting cart or to an authorized fitter or to an extreme fitter like over at Pete's Golf where they really get you dialed in with all the different components. So in terms of what we do, in terms of designing different head weights, different specs, different lie angles, all these things, you have to take all of that into account, and it's evolved. You know, we've gotten better and better at all we do. Our offerings have gotten more. I almost call it like we've, we're brushing the market with a finer comb than we used to. Mm-hmm. It used to be looking at, you know, a couple of, a couple of sets and how can these speak to everybody. Now it's, okay, we need this very specific one for this type of player, this very specific one for this type of player, and make sure those can speak to each other. You know, Chris, I just want to—I want to thank you for coming on. You've come. You've, you've Mizuno has been a big part of uh, On Par and helping uh, us be able to produce this show. And um, we, we, you know, we really appreciate you've come on every year. We love listening to you. Um, and and I don't know if you know now we're you know in a new studio, right? Well, a studio. Mm-hmm. We're in the Beth Page Pro Shop here. Yeah. You know the the that. mecca <laughs> of golf on Long Island. You know, five golf courses. The we, we'll go take a glance to black before we leave. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no one playing today because <laughs> it's uh, it's it's kind of miserable out. But uh, I just want to you know thank you and Mizuno for you know helping us uh, you know make it possible and and make it to come here. And that's you know thanks so much to, thanks to Kelly Brook for from from a Beth Page here for making this happen for building the studio from um, getting all the different shows on 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 WBWD. Um, it's really great to be here, and we we really appreciate you coming on, Chris. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks for all for y'all do in terms of increasing the knowledge that players have about the game and about their equipment. It's such a fun game that the more people know, the more they're going to enjoy it. Well, we're golfers, so we're not going to keep you from your your tea time. So uh, we wouldn't. We, it would be a disservice to you and 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 the golfing world at large. So um, go enjoy yourself, and um, and we'll speak soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks, all right. Chris. That was. Chris Voschel at Mizuno, Woody, um, you know, uh, talk about a company that that has always been. Well, obviously they've been supporters of ours, but um, but they they do do things the right way, and I really have been impressed with uh, the way they've um, the path of their company in terms of the customization. They saw it from a long from a long time ago, and they just started dialing that in, and um, I think that gives them the edge in the, in that regard. Absolutely. Phenomenal company, and uh, so happy to be able to to deal with them. All right, folks, that's it for this week. You're listening to On Par with Anthony Scorcher. Stay tuned for Faults and Fixes.